Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I had a feeling this Sherlock guy was kind of an asshole. <laughs> Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I think this movie needs more dogs. Not enough dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. If there's one thing I've learned from movies, it's that I have no desire to live during the Wild West. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Welcome to the show. Those are, of course, all a reference to the fact that today on the Filmcast, we're going to be reviewing Jane Campion's new film, The Power of the Dog, which is available right now on Netflix. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Got a lot of great exclusive content over on patreon.com slash film podcast this month we got an arcane season one review coming up on the exclusive after dark this week as well as a matrix sequels rewatch leading up to uh, our big review of the matrix resurrections later this month um so be, be sure to subscribe to the after dark tier at patreon.com slash film podcast if you want to get all those episodes delivered to you as quickly as possible yeah thanks to all those who already do that finally if you want to share stuff you want us to watch use hashtag slash tag on twitter a way to share with us the stuff that you think is worthwhile and we often shape a lot of our what we've been watching based off of that before we get to our what we've been watching this week uh, I do want to call out one thing that has been happening a lot this week. Uh, I think you guys have seen it, but uh, Spotify has released their Spotify Wrapped uh, yeah! of the year. Time and of what, year. A, yeah. what a delightful thing for them to do! Yes, I mean you know Spotify. Uh, I would say has a lot of problems as a company. Yeah. The delight um, of surveillance. It's great. You know they uh, they pay hundreds of millions of dollars to somebody who is an anti-vaxer, basically, um, and. Uh, they also don't pay hundreds of millions of dollars to the incredibly hardworking artists who make up most mm-hmm, of their platform, mm-hmm. but at least we can advertise their stuff for free via, via Spotify rap. <laughs> um, Surprise and delight, also, folks. Yeah. <laughs> but also, Spotify, if you'd like to buy our podcast, we're, we're available. <laughs> I mean, we, we say very few anti-vax things on the podcast, and we cost a lot less than $100 million. I mean, I, I think our podcast could be had for, you know... Uh, 80 million at the at the high end probably right so it's really a bargain a, in my opinion we are a bargain we okay, are so if nothing else we are a bargain putting aside that spotify does terrible things as a company uh it's a delight to see that a lot of people spend their time listening to the film cast i literally uh, have never used spotify is that weird <laughs> that is weird yeah. that's like a generational divide over there i know it is do you really use is. any uh streaming service just still using winamp I like bet. musical streaming winamp <laughs> I wish, man, those days were wonderful. Uh, no, I use uh, I use Apple Music just because it's easy, and my kids can uh, everything. Those, those days my... were wonderful when we didn't have access to like the whole corpus of human music at, uh, in our fingertips. Is that what yeah, you're it, was, the, it was great. It mattered. The Winamp skins, guys. Yeah. The skins. <laughs> it said it with the llama's ass every time you opened it up. It was great. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, uh, I I subscribe to Apple Music uh, just because it's easy for the kids, and and I use. Um, mm-hmm. Amazon Prime streaming as well because uh, Alexa uh, yeah. and my kids can access Alexa just by yelling what music they uh, want to hear. You shouldn't say that word. You're just triggering everyone's devices right now. Oh, Jeff. sorry. Yeah. Echo. Yeah. Pardon me. Yep. No worries. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's been really Siri, meaningful. Remind me to stop saying that on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> 
Hey Google, yeah, it's it's been delight. You guys, you guys are really just encouraging people to not listen to us with smart devices around. But uh, it's been a delight to see everyone Spotify Wrapped. I think the one that was most impressive was one I, I tweeted out from the Filmcast Pod Twitter account, uh, which was a listener named J E Duran tweeted out that he has listened to sixty nine episodes of the Filmcast this year, uh, totaling. 23,219 minutes of the podcast. Wow. Isn't that, that that's pretty much every episode this week, this year, like the mains and the after darks. So, I don't yeah. know that it includes right. the after darks. Uh, like, I don't I think 69. if you listen to every mm-hmm. after dark, it might be a little bit higher than that. So yeah. here's the question, good. folks out there. Can you I feel talk? like that's, that's the minimum anybody should exactly. be listening to us. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, for sure. Uh, but can you top 23,219 minutes? Which, by the way, is 386 hours. That's, wow. <laughs> is that? Right. Yeah, that's well, right, but, right? Yeah. You know, for every uh, every person we call out like this, we you have to remind yourself that we have spent at least that much time making them. I, I think, okay, so if this is to be believed, which is he, he's listened to 69 episodes for a total of 23,219 minutes, and then you take 23,219, divide that by 60 to get the number of hours, right? That's 386 hours. So that is over one hour per day of listening to the podcast. I'm not sure exactly how that math pencils out. Like maybe he spent time re-listening to episodes, right? Um, but that's that's over one hour per day. So Jeff, that is actually more time than we spend making the episodes. Mm. So hey, that is hardcore. We, we have a huge backlog. We're talking about the Matrix sequels. Go back and listen yeah. to that Matrix review we did, you know? Yes. So, yeah, I've talked I mean, to a lot of people who listen to old episodes and love them. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you to everyone who's sharing your Spotify rap. Thank you for making us a part of your lives this year uh, and for being, you know, m- many people who like basically share that we are in their top five of podcasts that they it's listen to this Which year. Which is extraordinary. Yeah. It really is extraordinary that, that so many people uh, have, have shared that. And the fact that there are, I think by last count, um, infinity podcasts mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no. to choose from. I, I actually think it's around, uh, my understanding is one zillion. Is mm, the number of podcasts there. Yeah, my uh, my my five year old son has uh, has just kind of grokked the the notion of infinity. He was I told him Google is a one with a hundred zeros after it, and that, mm-hmm. and that blew his mind for a long time. And so everything was was Daddy. I want a Google of those. I want a Google of those. <laughs> uh, and then uh, and then he got infinity, and he's like, Daddy, what's what is uh, what's the number right before infinity? Mm-hmm. And that's the question he keeps that's asking. That's the number of podcasts there are. It's like, yeah, exactly. it's time to watch the MCU. That'll explain <laughs> the infinities for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, a, a big thanks to everyone who's made us part of the lives. Thanks for sharing your Spotify wrapped. And uh, let us know. Tweet at us if you can beat 23,219 uh, 23, minutes. Yeah. Show uh, us a screen cap. We need to see evidence, too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to what we've been watching this week, folks. So we got a, a, a bunch of stuff we've been watching this week. Um, Everything and- I could do not to keep, not to start singing Rent when you were saying twenty three thousand minutes. By the way, just just <laughs> thank you. I did it last week. I wasn't going to do it, it again. Last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you can't ready. repeat the joke. Um, extreme side note, by the way, after our review of Tick Tick Boom, I, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of reading about Jonathan Larson and about Rent um, and. I actually bought the like. I actually researched. I have not seen Rent before. Yeah, um, really. Same. And I actually Same. researched. Wow. What's a be- uh, hey? Speaking of generational divides, Devendra, I feel like yeah, that's everybody. Yeah. That was the Hamilton of its time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was in college, man, everybody played that soundtrack. And non-stop. when I was in high school, 
everybody couldn't shut up about singing <laughs> Rent. And that really turned me off for life, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I did a lot of research about which version I should watch, like the Christopher Columbus film or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I concluded that basically uh, Rent filmed live on Broadway, uh, which I think was one of the the final or one of the final performances captured live on Broadway uh, mm. with the original cast is is the way to go. So I actually acquired that and I'm planning to watch it at some time. Oh, you haven't watched it yet. I'm very, watched it yet. Yeah, very so. keen to hear what you think of it. Yeah. Uh, but I've heard it's it, my understanding is it is a superior experience to the movie. Uh, much as we've discussed this year, often a film per- version of the live musical is often uh, superior to the actual film version. So, uh, okay, let's start by talking about Sean Baker's new film, Red Rocket. Now, Jeff Kanata and I have seen a couple films this week that are going to come out this Friday, December 10th. You'll be able to see them in limited release this Friday. One of those movies is Red Rocket, the new movie by Sean Baker. Sean Baker, in my opinion, is incredibly talented director, a visionary. A genius, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he is talented at many things, at uh, pacing, at casting, uh, at creative use of technology, at choosing the right format to tell the story. And so I'm a huge fan of Sean Baker. And I was actually exhausted when I, when I uh, yesterday, I, there was for, for reasons that I won't get into that are not super awesome. Like I didn't, I got like four hours of sleep the night before and I was exhausted mm. and I had this screening that I had to drive an hour to get to. And I was like, is this worth it? But you know what? I, I, I believe in Sean Baker. I'm going to drag my ass out of the house to go see Red Rocket uh, at, a, at a press screening in advance of it opening. And I have to say that I unfortunately did not enjoy this movie very much. I, I've been hearing a lot of extremely positive reviews. The, Extreme. The basic version of the story is that an adult film actor uh, goes home to Texas City and tries to kind of rebuild his life. That's kind of the the basic of the, the portion of the story. And uh, the the main actor uh, Simon Rex is ex- is in fact excellent in this this film. He uh, a lot of people have compared this movie to kind of uncut gems in some ways with the kind of tension that that movie brings along with it of this guy who has all this kind of manic energy that he's just, he's just putting out all this energy into the world and you don't know exactly where it's leading. And this guy, Simon Rex does an amazing job in the main role. Uh, and I think uh, it, it's, I guess worth watching for him, but I found the rest of the movie to be quite upsetting and, uh, and deeply troubling in a way that um, all of Sean uh, Baker's movies are. No, mm-hmm. I, I, I would say it's like, <laughs> It's like uncut gems. Um, if you know, like the, the people that Howard uh, leaves in his wake in uncut gems, like they kind of all know what they're getting into. You know what I'm saying? But there is a character in Red Rocket that I would describe as being victimized in some ways. Who I don't feel like. Uh, I, I feel like um, the way that the movie plays that out is is highly problematic to me. So. That's what my thoughts were on Red Rocket. I know everyone in the world who's seen this movie disagrees with me, Jeff, including you, it sounds like. So what did you think of Red Rocket? Well, at the risk of, not even risk, at the surety of you guys (laughs) making fun of me, I'm going Uh to explain how I saw this movie, Uh which is I didn't know a single thing about it. (laughs) I didn't know know it was a Sean Baker movie. How did you even like make the the choice to say I'm going to the screening? That's my question. It was at 10 a.m. 
I mean, I Jeff, knew... I'm just going to put it out there that I also didn't, other than it was a Sean Baker movie, I knew nothing else about it. So, well, I feel like know. that that's it. Like, you, you know a Sean Baker I... movie to me. I will be there. For whatever I knew that, that uh, I knew that we I needed to talk about something this week's episode, and there was a yeah. screening that happened to work. There was a press <laughs> screening at 10 a.m., and it was like perfect. I'm going get this, guys. Uh huh. I was the only one there. Wow. It yeah. was a it was a 10 a.m. screening, which is uh, you know obviously probably difficult for some folks to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a press screening, private press screening. I walked in and I was literally the only person in the entire theater other That's than amazing. the press person who was organizing the event. My screening was very sparsely attended as well. Yeah, there was like four people in my screening. Why was so, your screening an hour from Seattle, Dave? That's my question. Oh, uh, it's it's complicated. Um, yeah, that doesn't seem smart. It, 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 it's complicated. It's, it's, uh, it's not an hour from Seattle. It was in downtown. It's more that because uh, of where I'm located and because of traffic, it often takes me a very long time to get to where I need to go. That so, stinks. Yeah. But uh, man, but these screenings wasted on you, Jeff. You're just scrolling no. <laughs> in. Dude, <laughs> the best. The best way to possibly watch this movie. In fact, you know, you, uh-huh. Dave has already said way more than I knew going in, but there's a revelation. The The moment he it re- is revealed that he is a, an adult film actor landed on me. It, it's exactly <laughs> what I talk about. Like, yes. it's, it's what I <laughs> hope for because there's, I don't know, 15 minutes of movie where you're just with this guy and in this place and you're following him around. You're not quite sure what is his deal and, you know, and it's fascinating. And then all of a sudden that bombshell is dropped. And I was like, strap in <laughs> you know it's, i it, mean it's ex- uh, yes I, it, it, as fyi it hit me in the exact same way jeff but yes that oh, is cool. the, that is the premise of the movie so yes and it no is i agree premise. it is the yeah. premise of the movie but i loved that i did not know that yes i loved same. that i same. did not know that um i i don't disagree with anything you've said so far david except i think that's the point I think that's all of that is absolutely problematic. All of that is absolutely despicable and loathsome. And that's the point that the movie is making. That's the point. I guess it it is. It's Wolf of Wall Street for poor Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. (laughs) I mean, that is a first of all, great analogy, Jeff. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's right. But also in the same way that Wolf of Wall Street could be accused of celebrating that lifestyle. Um, I feel similarly to this, which is yes. If you read it wrong, if you if you mm-hmm. watch Scarface and you think it's it's pro Scarface, really, you, you don't you don't think that Wolf of Wall Street bears any responsibility for depicting that lifestyle in a glamorous way. I know, like that. That's okay. We're going back and re- relitigating <laughs> that movie, but yeah. no, no, like you know you know what is happening. You see what's happening before you. Um, it's glamorized because it's Leo, but. I think an audience with a brain, right? I, I try to trust. You don't think the, the movie hiring Jordan Belfort, the original character that the movie was based on, the actual dude, and paying him money and elevating his profile, is in any way sending decision. a mixed message. For I think that, movie. that is separate from the movie glamorizing <laughs> the the lifestyle because that that guy was an absolute monster. The movie makes that very clear at the end. Yeah, no, so. no, the movie he he definitely it it does not. Yeah. It, it, at the end of the day, he does not come off as a hero, right? But which is the uh, point? Yeah, I I do think that uh, I I don't know. I mean, I did not find it to be troubling. Basically, to to do the things that this movie does, in my opinion, Jeff, uh, the bar is like pretty high. Like you you need to have like a pretty uh, sort of good point to make, uh, in my opinion. And I do not feel the movie meets that bar. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um. I I, so. I think it absolutely. I mean, I think the movie is all point. I mean, it's. 
Listen, I you weren't even on the episode when we talked about um, Florida Project. Florida yeah. Project, mm. and, and of course that was a very contentious review uh, because I had a huge problem with the ending of that movie. Even though I think mm-hmm. that movie is extraordinary, uh, I also think this movie is extraordinary. But it's ex- it, it, it's very similar in the sense that it is very problematic. Very, very problematic. But that's, I think that's the point. That's the art that this guy is making mm-hmm. here is, is like, and, and to say that it, it doesn't make a point, I think. It, it I didn't say it doesn't me. make a point. I didn't yeah. say it doesn't yeah. make a point. Or you just the point that it makes doesn't reach the bar Correct. Of, yeah. of the art. That's right. Well, yep. but it, it, every, every single character in this movie is born of their circumstances. Every single one. You find out so much about all of these people. You find out so much about the character that we both have a huge issue with. I mean, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a very, yeah. it is a very bleak, very depressing, very disturbing notion that is put across in this movie. Mm. Um, just like Florida Project. Um, Which is also, I, I don't like the word problematic and I have not seen this movie. But the thing about Florida Project is that it is complex. It is messed up. Like it is. And to me, that is the realism that Sean Baker is so good at tapping into, right? Like life is messy, guys. It it is not a continuous narrative. We have people in our lives who are probably not so great at times, but they're still in our lives and they still exist. You know, it's a, I don't know. I find that realism that he dives into to be really compelling. So I'm looking forward to seeing this. Yeah, Devendra, I think you are going to be mesmerized by this movie, like I was. Um, Cool. cool. I don't. I don't. I don't even. I don't know if it's it's going to be in as high regard as the Florida Project to you. I don't know if it is for me either. But I do think. I think Simon Rex's performance is gobsmacking. I mean, he carries this. He's. I think he's in almost every frame of this movie. It's wild. He's. He is really good. It's. It's. So it, it very much like uncut gems. You're just like stuck with this guy who's trying to hustle yep. all the time and yep. juggling all these different plates in the air and lying to folks and then revealing things to other people. It's, it's it, it, it has that same kind of energy to it. And it requires a performance that, mm-hmm. I mean, part of what is so hard to swallow about this movie and what exactly what you're talking about, Devendra, where life is messy is how charming and good this guy can be at points when he is clearly terrible and he manipulates and uses people. And Mm. the very explicit um, presence of Trump looms over this whole movie. It is set in 2016, right before the election. There's constant Trump uh, campaign uh, uh, um, uh, news sound bites signage and news news footage and yeah it is so intentionally looming over all of the events that you are seeing and you're seeing a very in in a lot of ways trumpian figure here who is narcissistic and compulsive liar and uh at the same time extremely charming and people gravitate to him um i found this movie to be absolutely incredible as fundamentally disturbing and dark as it is it is the tone is wild it is it, it is fun at times it is jovial and and upbeat and the, and the the fact that this dark 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 character can be smiling and having a great time through the whole movie 
and is responsible for some truly horrific things and constantly slithers out of accountability in ways that you just, it, it is, it's an extraordinary movie. I, I am, I'm like, it is going to be on my list. I think at the end of the year, it, it, in the same way, the Florida, Florida project, like it's hard to sit with because of how you're moved through it. But in the same way, like this guy, uh, Simon Baker, the, the filmmaker, we talked about this when Sean we talked Baker. about, what's that? Sean Baker. Baker is Sean Baker. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm Simon Rex, Sean mm -hmm. Baker. Um, Conflated those. Um, we talked about it a lot during the review for for Florida Project. I don't know the magic spell that he is able to weave to get such incredible performances out of what are undoubtedly non-actors or first-time actors. Um, but the movie is peopled with authentic folks uh, that... I, I would be shocked to learn uh, many of whom have ever performed before, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're across the board, believable, grounded, have to carry very big moments. Um, it is, it's an amazing thing. He did it with children in the Florida project, which I couldn't believe. And, and they're almost completely adults here, but similarly, like the assault of the earth people uh, and and you just it, it lends a, a feeling of authenticity and and believability to this to this world that most media ignores. Right? This is this is these are very poor people um, that are that are scraping by that are living in a way that most media doesn't really address. And I mean, you are you are mm -hmm. in this world for two hours and. It, I don't know, man. I it affected me. I've been thinking about it since. It's I've been thinking about this movie way more than I think about Licorice Pizza. Mm. You know, and I think Licorice Pizza, in the same way, sort of wants you to feel that there are despicable people doing despicable things, and kind of it, it shows how charming the awful people can be. And I think this movie, I mean, obviously they're very different films, but but this movie landed and affected me so much more deeply than licorice pizza did uh, which is a movie i know you love dave um so i couldn't help but, but compare them although obviously very different movies um I, I just think this i think this movie is is a very affecting powerful piece of art that obviously as is a testament from you obviously gonna land on people in very uh disturbing ways and it, it's gonna be hard to swallow and i think that that's mm -hmm. The point. I think that's the point. I, I think this movie deserves credit also for having one of the best posters of the year. I don't know if you guys have seen <laughs> I don't this. Know. It's totally, it is, it is, totally not. It's it's like looks like, like how, uh, do you, how do you do a poster for this movie? It is a naked <laughs> Simon Rex in the hole of a donut holding his crotch and going, oh, yeah, that, that's it, it. That's the poster. It it's looks like, like what, do you, uh, what do you make of that movie? I don't know. Looks, yeah, well, that's that's all I knew when I walked in this movie and I did not expect what I was getting. Uh you know, it, it looks like the poster for a, um, like an 80s. Like a Verily uh, Brothers movie almost. Like a yeah. ski slope comedy. Mm, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with some more thoughts on this film. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. Oh, man, the holidays are crazy. Hectic. Insane. Why? Why? Why would you want to make things more difficult when you could take things off your plate? HelloFresh. Helps keep things simple with recipes that cut back on meal prep. 
and cleanup. So you can spend less time in the kitchen and more quality time with friends and family. That's what the holidays is about. With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. That's why it's my number one meal kit. That's why I have been a happy subscriber to HelloFresh for many years now. I think probably about five or six years now. I have enjoyed cooking for my family. Why? Because HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every single week, including vegetarian, calorie smart, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. I'm not eating the same old thing all the time. And the meals are ready in around 30 minutes or less. Plus, with their quick and easy meals, 20-minute recipes, or low prep and easy cleanup options, you can get food on the table quicker so you can spend more holiday time with your loved ones. It is essential to my family to have HelloFresh arriving every single week. I don't have to worry about going to the grocery store. I I can put a freshly cooked, handmade meal on the table for my family. They enjoy it. We love the recipes. We love the variety that we get into our menu, into our eating habits. It's healthier. Go to HelloFresh.com slash filmcast fourteen. And use code FILMCAST14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash FILMCAST14. And promo code FILMCAST14, FILMCAST14, for 14 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Uh, so I, I'm finding the conversation. I actually agree with... Basically everything you said, Jeff, uh, about the craft of the film. I think it's great. I'm finding the conversation to be very frustrating because I can't really talk about yeah. what is bothersome to me without like yeah. I get it. Not even spoiling, like going into more details about the plot of the film. And I'm not I'm not gonna do that right now. I think the things I'll just say is I don't believe depiction equals endorsement. You know, I'm not saying like just because they depicted it, clearly like we're supposed to root for him. You know, I don't I don't feel that way. Um, and I'm sorry for using the term problematic. I know that's very vague, Devendra, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's a, no, it's I my mean, shorthand. A lot of people because, use it, but it, it yeah, yeah. And it's my shorthand because, like, that. I can't, I, I, I can't dive into the details in a way that yeah, I would like yeah. right now. Um, and maybe at some point I'll be able to do that. But I think that um, to be clear, Dave, the reason you're not d- diving into it is because nobody has a chance to see this movie right. yet, and we want to preserve that for folks. Exactly, We're being respectful. That's right. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, um, but I think just the way. Uh, uh, just, it would be like, let's put it this way. I, 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 I you know, I'm gonna, I took, I took a run at this analogy. I'm gonna take one last run, and then I'll, I'll give up for the day. But basically, like, it would be like, um, you know, uncut gems. If, uh, you know, the the people that Howard is screwing over in that film are all basically despicable humans, right? Like, he's borrowing money from one person and then paying it to another person, or you know. The, all the people in that movie are like assholes in, in some degree. They're all like but, sort of criminal element anyway. Right, or they know who they're involved with. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like they they understand that they're involved with Howard and, and so on, Adam Sandler's character. Um, and 
it, it would be like Uncut Jebs if you saw basically like the suffering of all those people, or or if it was easy to much easier to imagine the suffering of all those people. Basically, is kind of how I depict it. Which which um, you know, you might say, oh, well, that would actually make it a better film. But for me, I, I just found it to be not a good tonal fit for whatever this movie is trying to communicate. Um, which I, I would argue is a bit muddled, but that's me. So I, I know I'm really in the minority on this on this movie because, like, you know, everywhere I've seen people love this film. Oh, yeah. But I got to speak, you know, I got to stand yeah, no, in my own I, truth. I respect so. that very much. I, at some point, when everybody's able to see both of these movies, I do, I would love to have you explain to me why you don't feel that way about Licorice Pizza. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, know, because I, I feel like that's, you could level the same argument. Yeah. In a lot of ways, you know. Right, right. Uh, um, yes, I, I will. I'm sure I'll have more thoughts. The other thing I'll say is, I, I also love the Florida Project, by the way. And I understand, you know, people are complex, and you know, I, I don't, I don't think you were necessarily referring to me, Devendra, about like people are complex. But I understand people are complex, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we're ta- going to talk about that today in the Power of the Dog. You know, like, um, so I, I'm okay with there being moral gray areas and human complexity and things like that. Um, that's not really how I describe my problem with this film. So. Uh, that's all I can say. I know that's a little bit, uh, you know, not super satisfying, but um, I guess just wanted to share my thoughts. That said, basically everything Jeff said is right. Like the craft is really impressive in this movie. Um, I particularly love the casting. Like Jeff said, like it's people who you aren't used to seeing on screen. And uh, I, I think it's remarkable the performances that he's able to get out of his performers. And so, uh, and and Simon Rex, amazing. So, Overall thoughts on Red Rocket. It's out in theaters this Friday uh, in limited release. It's an A24 movie. Watch it. Come back. Let us know who you agree with between the two of us. I'm very curious because like this movie has not been widely available yet. So yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the audience reaction is like. But I suspect uh, that they will be fans of it. So uh, we'll see. Red Rocket is the name of the movie. Okay. Uh, another movie that's going to be out in limited release uh, this week. Um, being the Ricardos, the newest film by writer-director Aaron Sorkin. Jeff Kanata, you're an Aaron Sorkin zombie from way back. I am. Very... You have defended Aaron Sorkin even at times when I have thought this to be yes. ill-advised. Yes. Um, and so I'm extremely curious. I'm, I'm having bad flashbacks to the last movie, guys. Like just <laughs> yeah. extreme flashbacks to that movie. God. Yeah. So I am extremely curious what you thought of Being the Ricardos, which is... Uh, which tells a story. I, I think, by the way, Jeff, it's a little more obvious what this movie's about. Based <laughs> a on little the title. bit, yeah. But it tells the story of one week in the production of I Love Lucy, uh, featuring Lucy Ricardo and her husband Desi Arnaz. So uh, Nicole Kidman plays Lucy Ricardo. Uh, Javier Bardem plays Desi Arnaz. And uh, so, really curious what you thought of being the Ricardos, Jeff. I think you can predict that I absolutely loved it. Uh, <laughs> I, I am a, I am a Sorkin. Uh, I am so in the pocket for him. Like I can't at at this point it's, I can't even be objective. Right. I just, Mm -hmm, I love mm -hmm. how his characters talk. I love what he talks about. This is him completely in his wheelhouse talking about artists, making art, talking about smart people doing smart things like little tinge of politics in there as well. Uh, but it's all about people like standing up for their integrity and, you know, believing that they know what's right because they're, the best there is at what they do. And it, I mean, it's great. The performances are great. I think Nicole Kidman's going to get the Oscar for this. She's phenomenal. I would never have thought of her as Lucille Ball, but she's, I think she's great. I think Javier Bardem is great. Um, 
some really oh man i should have looked yeah, up the lucille the, ball sorry i said i i misidentified her as lucy ricardo yeah lucille ball is obviously who she's playing she plays with lucy ricardo on the i yes, love on lucy the show. television yeah. show yeah um yeah it, i mean i just i ate up every frame of this it's it's one of my favorite movies of the year i i, I mean the way people talk is it's it's sorkin through and through i i i, I mean you're gonna tell me that I'm wrong, but I, I can't even, I can't even see his movies objectively anymore. I just, I just, lo- I just want more. I want the world to work the way his movies work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting that, uh, this is basically the third movie he's made in a row that the, the kind of premise of the movie is, um, somebody in the past does the right thing, right? Like that's kind of, or is trying, not no, is trying to do the right thing. Right, like mm-hmm. period piece about someone in the past trying to do the right thing. That's in kind a constrained of, set of time, right? Too, in a constrained is, set of well, because that's I don't know a, if the Steve Jobs. Cons- the yeah. oh. Steve Jobs movie was kind of that deal too. Like oh, it was yeah. basically a play. Well, yeah, he didn't direct. I was referring specifically yeah, to yeah. Molly's Game, Trial of Chicago Seven, and then this movie. It is yeah. really interesting so. that he tends to when he does these historical movies, he tends to focus in on a very short window of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the the subjects, I, I think that's a really interesting. I don't know of anybody else that kind of does it like that. He's I mean, I guess you plays. could say like that's. And I talked to him ahead of Steve Jobs, which I know he didn't direct, you know. But he, I think, in writing that, really prepared him for doing his first uh, few films. So. Yeah, yeah. So, but I will say this one plays interestingly with time as well. It does. Um, but I mean, I guess Lincoln is kind of like that. I mean, that's not a Sorkin joint, but uh, you don't often see these historical things not trying to tell you everything about them mm-hmm, but sort of right. just focusing on a very specific moment in time where they were tested or had to do something important um, i much prefer this style by the way i, I do much, too i much I prefer really something cool. that's more focused you yes know, that, yeah uh so being a cardos here's what i'm gonna say um i do currently work for the company that is distributing this it will be on prime video on december 21st uh after its theatrical release um so i'll say a few thoughts on it I I think, first of all, I actually have a great deal of admiration for Aaron Sorkin, even separate from his TV work that I like. I, I think The West Wing is the best thing that he's ever done to this date still. Um, but I we, we have praised in the past. We have praised uh, work from directors like Edgar Wright and Ryan Johnson, you know, people who are writing and directing original films in an environment that is increasingly inhospitable to those kinds of movies. And I don't feel like Aaron Sorkin gets included in the same conversation, right? Like, I don't think he he gets praised in the same way. I think because people see him as less of an auteur and less of a kind of visual, less of a, like a visually distinctive director. Um, yeah, because I, I, I think his words are so much the centerpiece that yep. yeah, yep. The, the other stuff gets sidelined, I think. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going on, I'm spending a lot of time on Letterboxd these days and I go on Letterboxd and I'm reading reviews of being the Ricardos and like people are just freaking vicious to Aaron Sorkin on there. And not only are they vicious to him just like as a creator, but like they, they specifically call it his, that his directing is um, very unremarkable. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll say like visually, I think that there is a kind of point there in terms of like a composition of a frame, but there's many other aspects of directing that I think Aaron Sorkin does a really good job at. Right. Um, one of them being, I think the performances that he gets out of his performance are really good. Yes. I think that um, the production design and kind of being able to set you in a in a time period, you know, that uh, that's not the exclusive scope of a director, but it is part of a director's job is to be able to make you feel like you are in a certain time period. 
And I feel like he does a really good job at that too. Yeah. And blocking for his actors, right? Which is like critical um, to kind of telling the story via like the performances. I think he does a really good job at too because he's obviously had a lot of experience with that. So I, I guess I just feel on one, I, I kind of got to defend Aaron Sorkin overall that I feel like he doesn't get credit for the things he does well as a director. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jeff, what do you there, think? There, there, I just want to, I have not seen this movie either, but the, the thing about the Aaron Sorkin backlash is a lot of stuff. He says outside of his oh, yeah, movies no. too. Like he is kind of a blowhard, kind of like not the best personality in interviews. Oh, recently. no question. No question yeah, yeah. about any of that. No question about any of that. I'm but just you're talking I'm about just his directing sp- talent. Speaking yeah, yeah. purely, purely in terms of craft. Uh, that's, that's all I was yeah. talking about. He's also but, one of the best writers of a generation like i i think it's okay if we knock him a little if he's not the best visual stylist like he's been praised quite a bit in his lifetime but yeah no i mean he said some like you know uh, unfortunate stuff about like the casting in this film and he said a bunch of other unfortunate things in the the course of the last few months um via various interviews and so i'm not gonna i'm not letting him off the hook for any of that stuff i'm just saying like Mm -hmm. i I see people going hard on him as a director and um i'm I'm, I'm a little bit like ooh, but there's all these other things that he does well and which are on display in being the ricardos in my opinion yeah i think being Um, the ricardos visually is actually pretty interesting there's some cool flourishes that happen there's a lot of like you said, I mean, there's a lot of playing with um, the reality of being inside the I Love Lucy TV show and outside of it. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a visually fairly interesting movie. And like you said, it it places itself in a time period really, really well. Uh, I mean, it's it's um, it's cool. It, I, yeah, I think I think people criticize not really based on the facts, but based on the their presumptions. I, yeah. You know, I think it's a little unfair. So the, uh, the movie itself, uh, my favorite parts of the movie were basically like, uh, showing you how hard it is to make a sitcom, you know? And, um, I've talked to Stephen Tobolowsky about this, but like it, it, this is from what I can understand, uh, what's depicted in this movie is fairly similar to how it actually still runs today. Where like, every day is like a whole different project. Like Monday, it's like the table mm. read. Tuesday, it's blocking. Thursday, you know, Wednesday, it's a whole right. day. And so like every day is a different enterprise until you actually put on the show. And you know, this movie is kind of divided up by different chapters of like every, uh, you know, it shows you kind of like every day and the what, day what happens week. that day, right? The day of the week. And, and I think that's really cool as well as kind of the behind the scenes stuff of how to make a joke work. Right. Yeah. How to construct a joke and and how that works. Be it, it physical does so in a manner, or otherwise. Yeah. It, it does so in a manner that is deadly serious. Right. Like <laughs> it's. It reminds me a lot of Studio sixty in that way. Where yeah, which uh, also did the like uh, every day of the week you got to do something different. Like he yeah. he is big into the background production of things. That was right. also Sports Night. That's also the West Wing. He, he's right. Into in the some ways, yeah. newsroom. Yeah. yeah. But but you know the the thing that's kind of we- weird and funny about it is like these are these are jokes, guys. These are jokes, and he's like the w- the tone of this movie as they're constructing a joke is like literally like they're pulling a heist. But right? that's. It's, yeah, I, I love that because in a lot of ways, that's how people in the industry work. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it is obviously stylized, it is obviously idealized and and accentuated in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it is it is in a lot of ways a, a blue collar job, right? It is you have to construct a joke and there are things that work and things that don't. I mean, I've been in a lot of uh, very, very fun. I mean, I did Noises Off, for example. Mm-hmm. No, you know, Noises Off is a play that is extremely technical, extremely technical. This has to be there. In order for the audience to laugh, 
A plus B yeah. has to equal C. And the the construction of that, the rehearsal of that, there's nothing funny about it. It's it is yeah. Yeah. very strict and technical. It is very mechanical. You have to be here by this point. It has to be the rhythm of the music. It's, you know, the cymbals have to clash at the exact moment that the drum hits or else it doesn't make any sense, you know, and, and I'm the cymbals and you're the drums and we have to figure out how to do that. Um, so in that sense, I don't think it's unrealistic or somehow a misrepresenting the like wacky fun that it is to make a sitcom. It's not right. It, it, it right. really is a job and it really is very, very technical enterprise. I think it's a great point. I think it's a great point. I, I think just uh, people who are who might watch this movie expecting a you know happy go lucky cast you know putting together this great fun thing will definitely not find that at all. You know, right. I, I think that most of the movie is quite serious, and especially the parts where they're constructing the jokes. And I think it's it's really fascinating and and fun and interesting the way it does it, but not like funny, right? Because as you said, they take it very seriously. Um, I think there's some funny I, stuff though. There's there some, is there some are funny some... stuff. I do think the movie tries to do a little too much. I think it tries to show you how this sitcom is run. I think it tries to have something to say about the gender dynamics that were happening back in the day. And um, there's a big deal that's made, rightfully so, about the fact that a pregnant woman never appeared on TV as a pregnant woman prior to this point, that they would always hide that person's pregnancy on TV. Well, and that a bunch of old white men would determine... Whether, whether or not that, that was happened. proper or not. Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. And and so that's that's very interesting. And it also tries to tell you this story of this uh, relationship, this marriage between Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and, uh, and the sort of dynamic between the two of them and the kind of highs and lows of that. And it's all wrapped up in the inciting incident of the film, which is that at the very beginning uh, of this movie, Lucille Ball is accused of being a communist. Right? And, and kind of what happens as a result of that whole thing. And I think that ultimately that is just a little bit too much stuff for this movie to handle and deliver on all those fronts in a satisfying way. Uh, but I do think, you know, per my original statement, Aaron Sorkin is trying for things that no one else is trying for. Like who, who in their right mind would be like, you know, in 2021, I'm going to make and release a movie about the making of I Love Lucy, right? It's just like, I appreciate that he's trying for things that, you know, basically no one else is trying for. And even if it doesn't all succeed for me, uh, I do think it's worth checking out. So uh, what did you think of Nicole Kidman? You know, I, I've seen a lot of people say that basically they never felt like Nicole Kidman quote unquote became Lucille Ball. I just have no frame of reference for what that is. Like, I, it's not like I feel like I'm super familiar with Lucille Ball. You know have what I mean? Have you watched uh, the show, Dave? I've, yeah, I've seen I Love Lucy before. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've watched it before, but I'm like, I, I mean, I will well, say that. I Love Lucy I, is Lucille Ball playing a very distinct yes. character. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. And so, uh, and you see Nicole Kidman sort of adopt that voice and that character in the course of shooting the, you know, ah! This, that that kind of stuff, yeah, uh, and then and then drop out of it, and I think that's accurate to, in, in a lot of ways, how Lucio Ball would be, in, in, in right? No, I think that's right. I think that's right. But uh, one could argue that it's hard to even imagine her as Lucy Ricardo. You know what I mean? Like her, her Lucio Ball as Lucy Ricardo. I didn't. I, I didn't mind because I, I guess like I'm kind of of the school of thought that I don't think movies that depict real people like the person should be trying to imitate them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I agree. I agree. I, I'm but, actually okay. Like whenever a biopic comes out, everyone's like, Oh, like look at how close in appearance we got this person to this person. And I'm like, just like, I don't give a shit about any of that. Like, Oh, that's definitely as as not what my question is good. Was. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. What? 
I was thinking that's definitely not what my question was. Not I was not asking how how closely do you think Nicole yeah, Kidman yeah, yeah, yeah. No, became? I, I, I get that. But so I guess I'm saying like I think she she did fine. I think I think it was a very solid job that she did. But I think a lot of people when they watch these movies they compare it to like the actual person, and that's way less interesting to me than like did the person actually do a good job? Um, and I thought she was good. She's good. Yeah. It sounds like you you felt the same way. You you I really you, I was you thought I, she was excellent. I think like. she was yeah. I do think she yeah. was excellent. I do think yeah. she was excellent. I think it's a very difficult thing to to play Lucille Ball, uh, but uh, I think she did it with aplomb. I, I yeah. I'm I'm impressed. She I mean it, she has to sort of be believable as someone who's funny and also be believable as someone who is feisty and opinionated and I mean and you know she, dealing with that Sorkin dialogue is it, it's a lot of mouthfuls. You know it's not easy and it's. I thought she was fantastic. I, I I really was impressed. Yeah, I have no uh, no complaints about any of the performances in this movie. So, and also um, I want to point out uh, one of my favorite character actors now is Nina Arianda. Mm-hmm. Do you know who she? She played uh, Vivian uh, Vance in in the movie. Um, one of the other gotcha. actors on on. Yeah, she uh, was great. She's great. I love her. I, I I only discovered her from the TV show Goliath, where mm-hmm. she's incredible. Like her character is awesome on that show. Uh, but now every time she pops up somewhere, I'm just like, oh, I love this actor. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, again, all performances are great. I think if if you watch Being the Ricardos, you're going to get a pretty interesting look at what it's like to make what it was like to make a sitcom. I am going to say one thing, Jeff, uh, about this movie, though, which is that... Uh, <laughs> There we we are now. We've been talking. We we watched um, French Dispatch together. We watched Tick Tick Boom together on this podcast. And all these movies have these like framing devices within framing <laughs> devices. Yeah. And yeah. I will say that the framing device that they choose for this movie, I thought was a, a total failure in my opinion. Like, I <laughs> I hated this framing device. Um, but I don't know if you have any opinion on it. I, I it's very theatrical. I loved it. I mean, I <laughs> I, I dig that. That thing where someone says something and then you see the exact opposite of that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I I love that juxtaposition. I just it's very theatrical. It's very Aaron Sorkin, but I you know I'm I'm a sucker for that stuff. Didn't love it, but anyway, being the Ricardos, it'll be out in theaters this weekend, and also uh, it will be on Prime Video on December 21st. Be sure to check it out. And that's what I've been watching this week. Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about our sponsor, Manly Bands. I think for a lot of people, uh, they spend a lot of time thinking about their perfect wedding ring, the perfect cut and clarity and carrot and whatever. And then there are people like me who just really want something simple and they want a simpler way to find a ring. I remember being just overwhelmed with the choices and the prices and just all the things you had to choose from when going to jewelry shops when I was getting married. Manly Bands is trying to do that a bit differently by letting you choose a ring that looks exactly how you want in all sorts of different materials that even include some from space. I ended up choosing the record producer, which is made out of black plated tungsten. And yeah, it has this shiny black uh, exterior, but on the inside, it's kind of yellowish and goldish looking. Uh, It's just a really cool style. Manly Bands makes it easy to figure out your ring size. You just have to start by ordering the Manly Ring Sizer, and it'll help you make sure you get the perfect fit. Once you've got that, it's time to get to the fun part, and you can choose from a variety of materials, including gold, wood, antler, steel, dinosaur bone, and uh, meteorites, uh, the ones that killed them, maybe. You could also choose from Manly Band's curated collections, like the Jack Daniels Whiskey Barrel Collection, 
I already have a wedding band, but I, for the longest time, wanted something that is maybe a little less costly and something I can use uh, doing all sorts of different activities. So I'm going to be getting a silicone one eventually, too. And this one just looks really cool. It's a nice way to change up the current color of my current band. Once you've selected your band, Manly Bands offers free shipping worldwide, a 30-day exchange policy, and a free warranty. At the end of the day, you'll have a ring that reflects you, no matter what happens to your marriage. To order your Manly Band and get 21% off, plus a free silicone ring, go to manlybands.com slash filmcast. That's manlybands.com slash filmcast. That's the character slash for 21% off. Manly Bands, the best damn rings, period. All right. Jeff, you were watching Being the Ricardos in Red Rocket as well. You also watched one other thing, right? Yeah, I want to uh, shout out our hashtag slash tag as uh, the source for this. In fact, um, Twitter user at JLPlays78 suggested something I was not aware of. It came out in October. I, I, I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but it's called The Making of Rocky versus Drago by Sylvester Stallone. Evidently, you, have you guys seen this? I've, no? heard, I've heard about the director's cut. Yeah, something well, separate? evidently, yeah. Sylvester Stallone, like the rest of us, was <laughs> bored during COVID, except instead of the rest of us, he had Rocky movies that he could go re-edit if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And he had to kill that robot. Just got to kill the robot. He had to kill the <laughs> robot. Uh, so, yeah, so he wanted, I guess, has always wanted to recut Rocky Four, and uh, set about, do, as, as his sort of COVID project, set about recutting Rocky Four, which is, of course, the big Ivan Drago, America versus Russia, Cold War, uh, Rocky movie. And his friend, with an iPhone, just sort of hung out with him and created a behind-the-scenes documentary about it. Amazing. And the behind-the-scenes documentary about it is available for free on YouTube. It is called The Making of Rocky versus Drago by Sylvester Stallone. And it's about an hour and 20, I think, something like that. And... uh I it is thoroughly entertaining, you guys. I can't recommend it higher. I'm really grateful for JL Play 78 for pointing this out to me. Uh, it's basically like you're just hanging out with uh, Sylvester Stallone in an editing room, and he's just dropping knowledge, baby. Uh, and it's great. I mean, you're literally seeing him recut the movie, c- criticize the movie, talk about why he's making these decisions about the movie, what 35 years has done to change his opinion of the movie, all these little moments like outtakes that he's watching that he's reminding himself of things. All the stuff he's learned since it, it's, dude. It's like exactly if you yeah. care at all about you know Sylvester Stallone, which obviously a lot of people don't. But <laughs> I'm not a huge Sylvester Stallone fan in particular. But it's wow. But it's Sylvester you know, Stallone slam. <laughs> well, no, I mean I don't think a lot of people are particularly like what is what is Sylvester Stallone's thoughts about movie making. But I think I even mean, if, the guy the guy's a writer, he's a creator. Yes. I think a lot of people forgot that. Yes, know? and so, a very hey, art, sure. very articulate. Very, uh, uh, um, um, he he has a lot of thoughts about movies Mm -hmm. that come from 40 years of making them that are, I think are, you know, well-earned and very insightful. I mean, he's a, Mm -hmm. he's a very insightful dude in this documentary. I mean, there's a lot of him sort of coming to terms with his humility. He directed Rocky four and wrote it. Uh, so a lot of him is like criticizing his own, (laughs) vanity Listen, at man, that time you it know? was the 80s we we're doing a lot of coke like <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it's, everybody it's wanted a robot we always had a robot in the 80s yeah, yeah. well i guess you know he, t- he tells a story about how the original conception was that it was going to be this sort of russian sort of like primal like 
almost like a regressive, like Cro-Magnon Russian was the original concept. And then he was introduced to Dolph Lundgren and it was like, no, no, no. Ivan Drago is the future. He is like a robot. And then he completely rewrote the script and mm. like all kinds of really cool insights into the, the making of it and, and how, how you cut together a fight scene, a boxing fight That's scene. Cool. And it's, it's really entertaining, you guys. I highly recommend it for any cinephile that's interested in how movies are made. And if you even have a passing interest in Rocky movies or this Rocky movie in particular, there's just a wealth of really wonderful information. And, and, and here's this, you know, megastar that is, you know, looking back on this storied career, really disarmed and casual. And he's just, he's just talking to an iPhone that his friend is holding his friend. I mean, <laughs> literally the guy that introduced him to Ivan Drago, the guy he went to college with at the university of Miami. So it's like longtime friend. He's super self-effacing. I mean, there's a few times when he's, you know, boastful and he's like, nobody will ever surpass this movie's <laughs> nobody will ever surpass this movie's fight scenes, you know? Um, but, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's very charming. It's very interesting. And I, I highly recommend it. I'm down. I want to see that director's cut. Like I am fascinated that he would go back and, um, make that movie more dramatic. Because yeah. Because the thing about Rocky four is it, it was, you know, it was kind of a, like the eighties and like, once you get to the, the middle sequels, um, where or the late sequels, if anything, um, everything turns to garbage basically. And it sounds yeah. like he sort of found the drama in that movie again. So I cannot wait to see that. Yeah, cut. He speaks very explicitly yeah. about that. He, he also says that the original idea was to basically like give the movie a trim. He said, mm -hmm. he goes, I, I was going to give the movie a trim, but now I've, I've shaved it bald. He's like, <laughs> once he started editing it, like it, it changed way more than he thought it was going to, mm, which I think amazing. is interesting. Yeah. I think Matt is, Singer when is that, wrote when up. When is that going to uh, come out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about the details, but I know Matt Singer um, and a bunch of folks have written about the differences between the original cut and this one. And the main thing is they uh, they disappeared Polly's robot. The thing yeah, that Polly yeah. was most definitely turned into a sex robot at some point in that movie. <laughs> at some so point. A, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in the documentary that he talks about, like, being super embarrassed that he did. And yeah. he's like, you know... Why does the robot sound sexy all of a sudden? <laughs> Why? Yeah. yeah, and there's, like, a, a, a few... You know, there's, like... Uh, ADR of of crowd. There's one moment where somebody's like, "We got your back, Rocky," and he's like, "Who put that in my movie?" He's like, "What?" <laughs> it's 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 so great. Like it, it's and there's a lot of shots of him where he's just like, "I'm cutting that out." It was just vanity. That was just vanity. He's like, "I got to cut that out. I can't use that shot." It's it, it's great. It's really great. That's cool. Okay, so yeah. as FYI, um, Rocky for Rocky versus Drago is available now for rent or purchase on video on demand. There you go. Um, so you can just go to iTunes or wherever else and get it. Um, it, it was a so Rocky V Drago, also known as the Ultimate Director's Cut, has forty more minutes of never been seen uh, before seen footage. It also aired uh, in theaters on November eleventh, and they did like a Fathom event, I think, to do a Q and A afterwards. Uh, so uh, yeah, you can go watch the director's cut right now if you want. Also, Jeff, you, you're talking about Sylvester Stallone talking about his own movies. Reminds me of like. Ridley Scott was recently on WTF with Mark Maron. And apparently whenever Mark Maron mentioned the movie, like, you know, Thelma and Louise, uh, yeah. Ridley Scott would just say, great movie. Great, great, <laughs> great, 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 great awesome. Scott. If you're Ridley Scott, yes, yes. You you get to, I think you get to do that. You know, you yeah. get to do that if you're Ridley Scott. Yeah, no, and, and there's plenty of moments where he's very humble and he yeah. talks about how much he's learned. He goes, there's one great line. He goes, he goes, I'm such a better filmmaker now that I'm not making films. Mm. <laughs> That's it's it's so it's that's that's really sad actually. Yeah. You, say it, you know, like the idea that like 
you are at your most wise and capable, mm-hmm. like most wise and knowledgeable when you're probably least capable of doing yeah. things. It's like every every sports star that you've ever heard. You know, Michael yeah. Jordan is like, I see the game better now, but mm-hmm. my body just can't do the things I did when I was 22. You know, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty sad, but that's I think, life. I think, it's life. I think it's life. we can uh, you can see that in the Creed movies too. Like even in the not so great Creed too, like. Stallone brings still brings so much to that character and the understanding of the legacy of what he's doing yeah. by continuing the fran- like helping to shepherd the franchise along to new blood. Um, yeah. I've always admired how he's handled that. Yeah. He also is, straight up says in this documentary, uh, it was a massive mistake to kill Apollo Creed. It's like, mm. I should never have done that. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's interesting. So Jeff, let me get this straight. You watch the making of Rocky versus Drago by Sylvester Stallone on YouTube. And but you have not seen the actual director's cut yet. That's that correct. Right? Yeah, no, that's correct. <laughs> kind of spoiled I, yourself honestly, there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, you kind of spoiled well, yourself on the director's cut. I think cut this though. is m- much more interesting than actually watching the director's cut would be. On, <laughs> frankly, yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, that's the making of Rocky versus Drago. Watch that on YouTube. You can also watch the actual Rocky versus Drago on video on demand. That's what Jeff Kanata's been watching this week. Uh, Devendra, what have you been watching this week, man? I've been checking out this show called The Yellow Jackets. Have you guys heard about this? Yeah, it's kind of like plane crash, lost style thing on Showtime right now, right? It, it is so many things all happening. Lord of the yeah. Flies combined with Lost kind of deal. It is a Showtime show about a group of uh, high school, uh, a girl soccer team, like an, a really good one, like an elite girl soccer team uh, in the 90s. Uh, they're on a flight to, I think, nationals or something. They're playing crashes in the middle of the woods and they are lost for a very long time. Like, I think, I think they even say like 14 to 16 months. Um, in that time, the girls have to survive and some do and make it through. Uh, what is interesting about this show is that it is a, uh, kind of a dual timeline thing where we're introduced to, the adults, like the people who have survived this crash, um, includes an incredible cast, too, including uh, Melanie Linsky, Juliette Lewis, Christina Ricci, are the adult versions of these kids who have clearly gone through some trauma. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil too much, but, uh, you know, you you crash into the woods in, in very cold weather. Um, you got to do a lot of things to survive. I feel like I saw this movie. Wasn't it called Alive? And it, it was kind of. It was yeah, also a yeah. soccer team, and it was there, also yeah. somebody had to eat someone's butt. I remember there's that. There's a there's wow. a bit of Alive Thanks, in here. Jeff. There's a bit of Lost <laughs> in this show. There's a bit of the OC. It is it is wild. Like I'm really intrigued by the show. I've seen the first two episodes so far. Um, the first episode I think will give people uh, maybe a mistaken impression that this is like. Hey, it's just kind of like a slightly stylized high school uh, drama type thing, right? About mm-hmm. a high school team. And you get some of the basic high school stuff in the first episode, but uh, it goes places. Like this this show is gruesome at times, uh, more so than most horror movies. Like um, it deploys violence in a way that I find to be really fascinating. The overarching mystery of what happened to the girls uh, on this trip and the things they're trying to hide. I think are really compelling. So I have seen many, um, you know, many lost wannabes over the years since that show came out. And I feel like this thing is um, one of the closest to kind of uh, getting us to a point where we're like uh, getting really interested in the mystery and just drawing very compelling characters too, because obviously um, 
a soccer team, any any high school team is a good way to deploy different types of personalities and just have them really bump up against each other. Um, I, I think the show does a great job of painting these characters. I love uh, that the teen actors are really good, but it is also really nice to see the older folks who we know kind of um, internalize the trauma that these characters have gone through and embody them in whole new ways. I love Christina Ricci. And she is wonderfully, like, deliciously evil in this show. There's just a lot of cool things. I think it it is something worth checking out. Um, I don't feel like we've really highlighted much from Showtime recently. So I really Mm -hmm. had to, like, dust off my account and, like, re-enable that. And it's been a a while, guys. Like, it's been a while since I've been on Showtime uh, because Dexter is back. I, I don't know why Dexter is back, but Dexter is back. Um, and they've got a couple other things going on. I think this show is well worth subscribing to Showtime for, you know, a month or wow. so until it's done. It is it is really, really well done, well written, well made, and a, a super compelling mystery. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I'm curious, Devinger, is it a thing where you're like, oh, I, I want to find out all the stuff that happens in the past and, like how it leads up to the present and that's the narrative tension driving the show. Do you have like a favorite plot line between the present day or the past? You know, I'm I'm just really interested in these characters because it is, it is a really compelling scenario too of like, you know, what, what would you do to survive in that, in a situation like that? How far would you go? Would you lose your humanity, you know, Mm. uh, to survive in the wilderness? Um, The way it kind of juggles both that and these people, basically living very mundane, modern, you know, normal lives as adults uh, is really interesting. And I think the acting all around um, just really sells what is going on between these characters. So yeah, I don't check it, this it's one compelling. out. Sounds good. Cool. Yeah, I find it's it called compelling. Yellow Jackets. It's streaming right now on Prime Video. Mm-hmm. Speaking Fun. of streaming. Well, now Showtime. Showtime. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Do not, do uh, not claim look that. At, look, look at, look at this. What a shill for his company over sorry, here. Jeez. Sorry. I mean, the reason I said that is because the way I would access Showtime is through Prime Video channels. The Prime Video but, channel. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Of another network. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, wow. Um, I, I want yeah. to say one more thing I forgot to mention real quick, real fast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, because we talked so much last week about Get Back, the uh, the Beatles documentary. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm still working through the, the next two episodes of that. I only watched the first one before we talked about it last week. And I, I'll probably talk about it in a future episode. But I wanted to shout out uh, some folks in the Slack filmcast and on Twitter that have been uh, continuing the converse- conversation about that very fascinating documentary, including talking more about the John and Yoko relationship, which I respected a lot. I I'm, I appreciated a lot, I should say, uh, the conversation in the Slack Filmcast. Um, but more than that, uh, somebody uh, pointed me to a an article uh, that I think you guys saw as well about how Peter Jackson used technology to make that documentary. Because right, the thing is, it, the thing we didn't talk about at all last week, I don't think, is that the original footage was 16 millimeter, which right. is... Uh, for those who don't know, like extremely grainy. But the movie, or I'm sorry, I should say the documentary, I believe from what I've seen looks high def. Exquisite. Right? Exquisite. Yeah. Plus, not I think more even than the visuals is the the audio. Yeah. Which of course for the Beatles is very important. The audio, it was a documentary that was captured mono. So they were not, you know, most of their most of the footage is from rehearsals where they weren't on multi-track recorders yet. They were just working out the songs. And so you'd get uh, situations where you wouldn't be able to hear the drums at all because it, they were just, you know, Ringo's just working out the drums or you wouldn't be able to hear vocals because, you know, the guitar, w- there was no, nothing was mixed and there's no way, way to mix it because it was just the filmmakers recording with a single 
uh, microphone pointed at these four guys playing yeah. music. Because whenever you hear music, you know, each instrument is recorded individually and, and you mix it together to create something that sounds right. So that's what Peter Jackson had to work with. And he used uh, a combination of machine learning and uh, some really cool custom software that plucked out the individual instruments so they could remix it in post, this mono recording. It's freaking mind-blowing. Not only that, but they did a similar thing because I guess George and John in particular would be in, in moments where they knew this film crew was filming them, but they wanted to talk in ways that the film crew wouldn't be able to capture. So they would just plug their guitars into their amps and strum, <laughs> strum just n not music, not a song. They just make noise with it, just <laughs> as they talked, so that they couldn't hear anything. And Peter Jackson and his uh, wizards, his freaking uh, <laughs> hobbits that he employs, uh, went in and uh, used machine learning again to extract the audio and and remove the guitar sounds that George and, and and John were trying to use to mask their voices. So you get these like crystal clear. Uh, conversations that weren't ever supposed to be heard mm -hmm. i mean it's, it's a marvel of technology it's also like i guess that's fair game they signed the release that said you could use whatever you record <laughs> right um, and the, the uh, technology has gotten better to yes. uh work through their their yeah their ways to obfuscate yeah, everything 50 years you didn't know that we'd be able to hear what you said guys it's kind, you of, know? kind of amazing peter jackson yeah. by the way i don't think we've ever talked about this but he did do something similar with they shall not grow old his last mm, yep. documentary about yep. like world war one soldiers which they looked like incredible. colorized the yeah. images and stuff like that and, and also and, made them 3d too like it, it is wild what he did with that movie i think that what the overall force of what we're trying to say here is that mm -hmm. there is so much sort of work that goes into making get back the documentary feel like a modern documentary that yeah. was shot on modern technology that the audience is probably just not even aware of right mm -hmm. yeah. And all of this that, work to really make you not even think that not it just seems like, it. oh, they just pointed a camera at these guys. And, oh, they found this footage. It's like, yeah, well, right. they found this footage, but it was unusable for 50 years. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you don't. And that's the thing. When you watch it, right, you don't even think about it. You don't think right. like, oh, and because when you're watching like older footage, you're, you're I find that personally, I'm always thinking about it. I'm always thinking, oh, this must be they shot it on a Super 8 camera here or, you know, whatever. Like uh, I'm always thinking about what the technology and the format is, but you know, that's the gift of what this technology can give us is the gift of not thinking about it. Yeah. So um, anyway, get back. Love it. Uh, Love it. I've, I, I'm actually more intrigued now after you talked about it last week, Jeff and mm -hmm. hearing like the, like so many people have been talking about it. Uh, it's not really something that would have uh, stuck out to me, but uh, it's probably something I'll try to check out uh, before the year is over. So uh, Devendra, you and I also recently had a chance to check out, what we do in the shadows season three. Yeah. Right? Finished it. Yeah. Finished it. I actually, did you finish it this week or is it a coincidence? No, I finished it like when it came out. I see. Uh, okay. So yeah, I haven't finished, finished it. A few... it. I'm, at, I'm about halfway through the season. Okay. Okay. It. I yeah, finished it yeah. this week. Um, it's, this is one of those shows that I really like and have a lot of affection for, but it's not like necessarily mm. appointment viewing for me, you know, like, um, same succession is appointment viewing. Like I have to watch that show, you know, as soon as I have access to it. And, uh, but this is a show where, like, every every time I visit it, I'm I'm always um, I always enjoy it. Yeah, but turns I'm out never it's like, genius. You just yeah. don't make an appointment for it. I don't I don't know. Is the problem with the show or with the the viewer? I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good question, Devendra. Uh, it's an amazing it show, like, and it keeps getting better. Yeah, I will say I think this season 
particularly the last three episodes, which I will mm-hmm. not say what happens, Jeff. I will not even say what the premise is. Mm-hmm. But I think it goes into some really interesting territory in the last few episodes. Well, and the last so, few episodes of season two are pretty awesome, too. Yeah. I remember that yes. big reveal. It is a show that keeps trying to one-up itself, and yes. I, I love that. I, yeah. I, I like that it doesn't feel content to rest on its laurels, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like, oh, we could just have this premise go on forever in this way. Like, I think it, it really is trying to mix things up in some ways, and um, I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, I have a good time. What, this season, what happened to that werewolf show that was supposed to happen? The, who the knows, spin-off. Man. The same thing that happened to uh, Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron movie. Um, yeah. Which is? <laughs> are you talking no about Wellington Paranormal or no? No, that was, there, there was a show different. called Weir Wolves. Uh, yeah, was, was supposed to. It was literally going to be the werewolves from the movie uh, in that universe. Like they literally were going to share mm. the same universe as what we. I mean, they have a lot of spinoffs at this point. Like they have two separate spinoffs. I think Wellington Paranormal has been a lot of fun. If you want the more like dry New Zealand, you know, yeah. style well, I like humor. that show a lot. But it, that, yeah. that's not a shared universe show, is it? It is. It is. It is. Oh, I mean, it's really? the universe of the movie. Wellington Paranormal. I believe it is. Um, it's from the same folks. Hmm. Okay. I don't. I didn't hear about that. But uh, so here is an update on We're Wolves, which is the name of the show from March of 2020. So over 18 months ago. Um, but apparently, according to Reese Darby, uh, he talked to ComingSoon.net and said that uh, he's the manager uh, from Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. He yeah, was one of the werewolves in the movie, right? Yep. Due to co-writers and directors Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement busy schedules, the project has been indefinitely shelved. That was oh, him. indefinitely is the wrong word. Yeah, yeah. That, that was him in, uh, in March of 2020, but uh, I don't know if anything has happened since then. But hey, but yeah, they, they, yeah I, I've confirmed Wellington Paranormal is is a part of the universe. Okay. It is a spinoff right. of this well, whole cool. thing. So you've got a lot of uh, space of the what we do in the shadows, you know. Cinematic universe. Yeah, yeah. To, to explore yeah. here. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed this season. Uh, Kristen Schaal uh, was basically like basically a main player this season, mm-hmm. and she's she always very regular. Right. So, it is. Um, yeah. I, I won't spoil it too much, but I do love how much this show keeps uh, going back to the blade joke because that that oh, is like an yes. open joke, and they just keep oh going back there. There is, every, a, there I is a I just clap. Yeah, yeah, there is a blade reference this season that is so good, so good. It's so it is so good. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking and about. O- and only true yeah. blade heads will know like why <laughs> only, it's hilarious. Yeah, it's not even a thing that's like it's not like Wesley Snipes show up, shows up or anything. It's like something that's like more of a deep cut. And mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's awesome. Okay. So um what we do in the shadows, season three. Whole thing is streaming right now on Hulu. It's good. It's good. Check it out. Also, uh love the uh, Ocean's Twelve references in, in Blade. <laughs> yes, what we yeah. do in the shadows is the only show that truly acknowledges the greatness of Ocean's Twelve. I'm just gonna put that out there. And Blade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Blade. Yeah. So uh that's streaming on Hulu right now. And those are all the things that we have been watching this week. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Theragun. Have you tried a Theragun? Have you felt it? There's no way for me to convey in audio form what it is like to experience the Theragun. It is extraordinary. The Theragun is one of our most prized possessions in our home. Because of how much it affects us, my wife and I both, we live and die by this Theragun because we're, we, we have a lot of stress. I'll be honest. We have a lot of stress. And both of us work from home. We both work in front of computers all day long. We have tense muscles. We had sore necks and backs, and, and it's not pretty. Theragun is a handheld, percussive therapy device that releases your 
deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. It really is quite remarkable. And the Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. I can't express to you what it feels like. Just a few seconds of, of the Theragun changes my mood, changes the feeling in my body. I'm, I'm really quite taken by this thing. And whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or from an injury or just from the stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future or a prop from a sci-fi movie. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behavior and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers, including myself. I, I'm telling you, I use it quite frequently. You can try the Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash filmcast. Therabody, T-H-E-R-A-B-O-D-Y.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Guys, let's get some to some weekly plugs right now. Weekly plugs is a part of the show where we plug something we've created. Uh, I want to plug a podcast I do with Tara Ariano called The Sweet Smell of Succession. Uh, Great title. We've been recapping the show mm-hmm. every week and uh, gotten like thousands of uh, new listeners this this season. Yeah. Uh, a lot of new people have climbed on board the Sweet Smell of Succession train. Um, Tara, I, I am not exaggerating, in my opinion, is one of the most talented TV recappers on the planet. I mean, she um, she invented. The she form. basically helped to invent the art of yeah. TV recapping. Yes, I don't think she gets enough credit for that. I don't think she herself thinks of herself that way, <laughs> but it's how I think of her, and you know that's what's important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have history greatest... will remember this. Yeah, <laughs> history will remember that she is one of the greatest recappers of all time, and uh, and We're, so we rarely to... get the the recognition we deserve in our own lifetimes. You know, so mm-hmm. Tara, mm-hmm. Uh, you look forward to that posthumously, I guess. <laughs> But she, uh, it, it is worth it. To, forget about any of my contributions. You know, most people don't listen to my podcast for my contributions anyway. Um, oh, that's true. But especially for this. Yeah, you're, you're like the mayonnaise bringing all the flavors together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Devendra. Um, Love it. But uh, <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to hear the sound of my voice, check out The Sweet Smell of Succession because Tara does an amazing job recapping every episode mm-hmm. along I with just, me. I have yeah. one question for you, Dave. Yes, what's up? This most recent episode. Yeah, episode this is a seven. good one to, to jump on this podcast. Yes. Do you, yes. Yeah. I better have at least three-fourths of the show discussing Lil Wu-Tang. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> the, Lil Wu-Tang definitely gets acknowledged multiple times. Good. So. That's good. That's the only thing yeah. I care about. I yes. will tune in to hear you discuss Lil Wu-Tang. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. A, what a perfect episode of television that was. <laughs> it was very good. I mean, very everyone, good. Every single episode of Succession is a perfect episode yes. of television. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's the Sweet Smell Succession podcast. It's available where a podcast can be downloaded. Devendra, what's your weekly plug? I want to shout out the latest episode of the Gadget podcast. Uh, we talked about Jack Dorsey, the co-founder of Twitter, leaving Twitter and what mm. that means. And also... 
uh, Qualcomm unveiled a whole bunch of new chips. They're going to be in phones and computers and whatnot. And uh, uh, that's going to be really interesting. So if you want to hear a deep dive into chips and also our thoughts on a Dorsey list Twitter, check out the Engadget podcast. All right. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. I do a science podcast that folks might not be aware of. It's called We Have Concerns. I do it with Anthony Carboni. Uh, I guess I'm the mayonnaise in that situation. Um, and uh, and uh, thanks, Devin sandwiches Grown. aren't that, good. Yeah, that's going to become a meme now, Devendra. I'm going to be called it, the mayonnaise of the podcast the mayonnaise. forever now. Thank Listen, you for that. Mayonnaise is an essential form uh, of every sandwich. Uh, without <laughs> no. it, you don't have heightened flavors. Like mm-hmm. it really exactly. It, it's so true. You need the it's mayonnaise. So in yeah. fact, you need in the your fat case, in the oil, yeah, you need it all. In your case, David, it's, it's spelled M-A-I-N. Mm. Mayonnaise, because you're the mayonnaise. mayonnaise. I like that. Mm. Thanks. Thanks, uh, anyway, I do this Disgusting. comedy podcast, a comedy <laughs> science podcast. It's uh, all about science stories, but we we have fun and we make jokes, and it's called We Have Concerns. And uh, there's this science story that's kind of broken through into the mainstream this week that we covered on the show. Usually we cover, you know, sort of the the stuff you might not hear about. We dig a little deeper. Uh, but there's a science story about uh, robots that are reproducing. And it's funny, ha-ha, hilarious funny, where every time you hear the mainstream media reference this story, everyone clearly has only read the headline because no one actually understands robots reproducing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so annoying to me, but we actually talk about the substance of the story on my show. We Mm. have concerns. Which is also deeply troubling, but yeah. yeah. It's still deeply (laughs) troubling, but not in the way that everyone assumes when they read only the headline. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, fascinating story and uh, tons more. We have over uh, almost 700 episodes of We Have Concerns. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. All right. Those are our weekly plugs. And of course, I also want to plug, as usual, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash film podcast, sign up for ad-free episodes or uh, exclusive After Darks. We never want you to contribute to our Patreon if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Um, but if you have some cash to throw our way, we really appreciate it. There's a very easy way to support us for free. Just go to Apple Podcast. Use uh, the Apple Podcast review functionality to leave us a star rating or a review. It really does help us because, as we've discussed, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Let's get to our review of The Power of the Dog. 25 years since our first run together. 1900 and nothing. It's a long time. What's it doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. We were married Sunday. I wonder what little lady made these. I did, sir. Phil? That was from the trailer of The Power of the Dog. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Um, I think you guys will agree that this plot summary is kind of weird one for this movie, um, well, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay? a Jane Campion movie. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love, end quote. Not how I would describe the romantic comedy. Not how I would describe this movie. Not the power of the dog 
was the friends we made along the way. Indeed, indeed. All right, it's the so butts yeah. we sniffed along the way, apparently. It was, wow. Yeah. It was in him all the time. Yeah. Uh, as Devendra mentioned, this is the latest Jane Campion movie. Um, she has been making episodes of Top of the Lake. Um, she, but... I mean, she created Top of the Lake, which is, yes. I don't know if you guys have checked out that show, but it is very good and yep. well worth watching. Yeah. yeah. But this is her first film since 2009's Bright Star, and so a lot of people really looking forward to her return back to the big screen. Devendra Hardware, given that you seem to be a, uh, a Jane Campion fan. A Campion and... champion? A champion, yeah. champion. I believe you you're also uh, you're also probably uh, you and Jeff are probably big big fans of westerns on this podcast. From what I can tell, I, right? I like a good yeah. western. I also yeah. like a good Jesse Plemons. You yes, know? good yeah. Jesse Plemons. Everybody okay. loves the Plemons. Mm. Is he All is the... he the new Philip Seymour Hoffman? I hope mm. so. Maybe I hope so. Uh, I, yeah. In, in, in terms of talent, certainly I think yeah. uh, he's definitely in, in the uh, contender. Uh, but yeah, uh, Devin your harder. Very curious. What do you think of the power of the dog? Oh, I I adored this movie like I, I love i've not seen every jane campion movie i think i saw bright star when that came out but i was really intrigued by top of the lake because that was a cool series about um it was elizabeth moss as a um as a detective in uh in new zealand towns basically um solving a mystery every season and it's her confronting um misogyny and just you know random the difficulties of just existing uh, in in the modern world. And I found Power of the Dog to be a fascinating exploration of toxic masculinity. Um, but I think it's also ultimately, you know, it's a movie about people trying to survive, you know, in a world where they are just out of place. And I think like a lot of Westerns, um, you know, this one is about the, the end of the Wild West. It isn't the middle of the Wild West. It is a time mm. where the railroads are there. You know, they're bringing civilization into the West. Uh, the people who have um, spent their lives idolizing cowboys are now trying to pretend to be the cowboys because the world doesn't really need cowboys anymore. It's almost like a uh, like a Western, a more straight Western version of No Country for Old Men. Mm. You know, the lives these people were built for just doesn't quite exist anymore. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot going on in this movie, but specifically... Um, the way it explores uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, uh, who I think is incredible in this movie. You know, he is just an outright bastard. But <laughs> especially at the beginning of the movie, too, like he is mean. He is cruel. Um, Jesse Plemons is his brother. He just wants to get the hell out of there, like get away from his life with this guy. Um, but by the end of it, like I was really intrigued by that character, too, because, yeah, he is a complete piece of garbage, but also the movie really gives us hints of like humanity behind him as well. And there, there's a lot going on here. I don't want to spoil yeah. too much about where this movie goes, but I found it to be a really, really interesting exploration of complex and fascinating characters, but especially with Benedict Cumberbatch is doing, and also Cody Smith McPhee who plays um, Kirsten Dunst's son, uh, you know, the son who enters this family and who is kind of a, you know, he's definitely not a cowboy. He is like a book reading. Uh, the movie paints him as like effeminate. He likes to uh, make flowers out of paper and he has like a really good eye for design and science. He is not the definition of a young man in the Wild West. And the way his relationship with Benedict Cumberbatch's character builds up, like the way it begins and the way it like continues and matures, I think is endlessly fascinating. So I love this movie. It's also beautiful. I think um, I believe they shot this 
in New Zealand to look like Montana. And it looks incredible. Like there are some scenes of just like super, super wide shots of mounted ranges and um, just pure countryside. The sort of shots you, we kind of saw in Lord of the Rings, but the camera just sits there and kind of lingers on it. You get to see how people like how small humans are, you know, (laughs) in this landscape. I found that really compelling too. There's just a lot of good stuff here. I love this film. All right. Uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. And I I think you put it really well about talking about how it's, it's about people who feel out of place, right? Mm -hmm. It's about like every one, there's four main characters basically. And every one of them is kind of struggling in different ways with, the expectations yeah. that their situation and society has placed on them. So uh, I think at the end of the day, it's like a pretty fascinating character study. Jeff Kanata, curious about your thoughts on the power of the dog. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on the power of the dog are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have predicted that. <laughs> I found it hard to reconcile the ponderous pace and stiff style, but it's one of those rare experiences where the end makes the whole film worthwhile. Wow. Mm. Okay. Mm. Nice. The last 10 minutes of this movie made me reconceptualize. Yes. yes. Recontextualize the yep. entire movie. Mm-hmm. And I ended up liking it. <laughs> the experience. Uh, wait, you weren't liking it until I then, wasn't. apparently. I really ah. wasn't. I, I I really wasn't. I. It, it's a very um, it's a very odd st- sort of stilted movie. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a large portion it's about of it, awkward people being awkward together. Like that is the entire movie. It, yeah. The movie wants you to be uncomfortable. It it yeah. just yeah. sits yeah. you in uncomfortable situations. And John, Johnny Greenwood's score also like very very discomforting. much, mm-hmm. yeah. very much. Yes, uh, and and uh, I wasn't finding that enjoyable. Shockingly, that I didn't. I wasn't <laughs> enjoying the sitting in the awkward situations, and I kept waiting it for for it to add up to something. And then it does, right? But I wasn't sure it was going to add up to something because the movie is very stilted. It, it has these jarring turns. These big things will happen in an instant and they're not really motivated. Um, you know, f- for, I don't know, 40 minutes, I'm thinking we're in a movie about Jesse Plemons's character and yeah. then Jesse Plemons's mm-hmm. character just disappears for a long time. Um, it, it, it's very stilted. It's very odd. There are things that just sort of happen and you don't, I mean, the biggest thing in the movie just sort of happens uh, off screen. And um, there's a lot of that. But then like the last 10 minutes rolls around and you go, oh, Uh now I understand the title of this movie. I understand (laughs) what what we were watching. And they really do hold back on explaining the title. Yeah. I think it's the very last frame of this movie. Oh, it's great, though, because, you know, it's. It really is that usual suspects moment where I'm looking around the office, seeing all the thing, clues that were planted the whole time. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I don't mean to make this sound like it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. It's mm-hmm. it, it's not a twist that the end right. happened. It's just a recontextualization of everything that you've seen up to that point. And you, the movie seems to be building in one direction. And then when it reveals Again, reveals is probably the wrong word, but when it arrives where it arrives, mm. you go, oh, that's the movie we were watching the whole time. I'm I'm very excited to talk about it more in spoilers, but mm-hmm. it ended up being a movie I appreciated, but I did not enjoy the experience of getting there. But after it happened, I went, wow, no, I, yeah. I get what this movie was doing and it, it's it's beautiful. 
I also feel it may be one of those movies that will reward a rewatch if you ever end up yes. rewatching it because I, I feel like I had clicked into what this movie was doing early on, whereas mm-hmm. like there is an early meeting between uh, Phil Burbank, Benedict Cumberbatch's character, and Cody Smith McPhee's in a restaurant, and it is so like it is so interesting how Phil Burbank responds to this kid who mm-hmm. shouldn't exist in his worldview, you mm-hmm. know, and there there is just so much going on there. So I feel like. I was like attuned to kind of the, the other levels that they were trying to do. Um, But yeah, I feel like once you see the ending too, you will see like how this movie really organically builds to that conclusion. You know, it's, it's it's, sometimes what people do seems out of the blue, but uh, the movie gives you everything you need to know. It's one of those things. Yeah. I think we should go pretty quickly to spoilers. I'll say I enjoyed the film. I thought just the craft was really well done like uh, a lot of the stuff that you guys have already said you know the New Zealand setting it's gorgeous the performance is all great I actually really like Benedict Cumberbatch in this film but I also found the experience of watching it to be pretty disorienting like Hmm. it's one of those movies where very much like Red Rocket I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is this movie about you know yeah and it's a movie that doesn't really reveal itself until you get closer to the end. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, we're 90 minutes in. I'm like, yeah, I still no, don't really know what this movie's about. You know, last yeah. 10 and, minutes for me. That's yeah. it's a, <laughs> literally. Yeah. But what it's really about is these people trying to survive, you know, around these people who orbit a black hole of humanity to a certain extent, <laughs> mm, you know? And I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if I agree I, with that. I, I think, I think no, that, it, give, it gives you more than that, but you know. right. I guess, I feel like the whole Jesse Plemons head fake th- that did really kind of bother me though, Jeff, you know, like, yeah. I think I probably like the film the least out of the three of us. I like the film. Mm-hmm. I still, I, I rated it four stars on Letterboxd. You know, I, I, I kind of, I enjoyed it and I think it's w- well worth checking out. I didn't love it though. And I think that I didn't one of the either. reasons <laughs> is because of this whole thing where you mm-hmm. think it's about one thing and then the movie's like, nope, not interested in that anymore. And it just goes to do this other thing. Um, and, and all that's a that... big disappointment. And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the sort of side effects of that is that like Kirsten Dunst, in my opinion, is almost completely wasted in this film. Like, I think she is not given enough to do what she has. She does a lot with, but I just don't think she's given enough to do. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of overall thoughts. I liked it. Didn't love it as much as you guys. Um, well, Jeff, it sounds like Jeff like liked it less than you did. Yeah, so, I, I don't think I liked it <laughs> at all. <laughs> I would not criticize, uh, uh, qualify myself as loving it at all. Mm. I just thought it was worthwhile by the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, fair enough. But Jeff, yeah, you you had one other thing to say, or should we go to spoilers? What do you think? Uh, we can go to spoilers. That's fine. Okay, let's go to spoilers for the power of the dog starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, let's talk about spoilers for The Power of the Dog. So I I think one of the things that this movie does that's challenging, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily bad, but challenging, is it withholds a lot of information from the audience. Like uh, it withholds a lot of motivations for what, why people are doing certain things from the audience. And there's nothing bad about that. Like you, it's, it's good that the audience, like it's expecting its audience to be smart and pick up on things, right? Arguably. But I can also understand why some might find this a frustrating experience. It's a movie that demands you pay attention. I will say that for sure. Yeah. But then makes it hard for you to pay attention because (laughs) everything is so slow and drawn out and you're just sitting in these kind of uncomfortable, you're kind of like, why are we even in this scene right now? 
Yeah, I, I, like, I, I feel I feel that way a little bit. But yeah, the the big things is basically like all the the thing I'm referring to is mm-hmm. all the actions that Benedict Cumberbatch's character takes in the last like 45 minutes of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And so that there turn, is this, that turn where he's like, "I'm your friend now," it's like yeah. it comes out of nowhere. Well, so there's I've been I've been thinking about this, right? And there's mm-hmm. a scene where he kind of goes into the middle of the woods into yeah. his like secret hiding area. Yeah. The place and where he can be himself. Mags. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He has his nudie mags and he also um, has this handkerchief that like, yeah, it was either Bronco Bill's handkerchief or he like, he oh, it it was definitely, like, it, it definitely had the, polishing the saddle with it yep. or whatever. It, yep. But it, By it, the way, it has it, Bronco Bill's essence. It's in Bronco it. Henry, Hen- which Bronco is Bronco Henry. objectively yeah. a ridiculous name. <laughs> I mean, have you met a cowboy? Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry. Yeah. So Bronco Henry, and then there's actually, I actually thought that scene was incredible. Like, yeah. When he's kind of like just waving the handkerchief all over him. So I'm like, I've never seen and, anything and they're, they're like this very, before. They're uh, very specific know? initials co- like sewn into it. So it is see, Bronco Henry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's just a beautiful scene. And then of course he like masturbates to it. And then, uh, and then the idea is he's kind of like in this zone where he's. He's being himself and mm-hmm. living with his fantasies. He doesn't then, have to pretend to be a man, right? Or the right. man, or as to be he a sees. manly, you know, his yeah. society's version of a man, right? Yeah. And uh, then Cody Smith McPhee kind of interrupts him and like mm-hmm. sees him there, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know. But like my interpretation is, he doesn't know how much Cody Smith McPhee has seen. Oh, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and so therefore, it's like it's incumbent upon him to like keep this character close yeah. so that the character cannot damage you must him, bring right? this kid in close so befriend him so he doesn't hurt you yeah there is an extremely similar dynamic that occurs in the sopranos season six and seven by the way um mm. where there is a character in the sopranos who turns out to be gay and a character witnesses him in the act uh with another man and then like then that the character who is gay then like tries to bring that character in close um, so that the, he cannot be harmed, you know, or that he mm-hmm. he know he like understands what that character is doing, and so he can like minimize the harm to himself. So I kind of recognize that kind of dynamic if, as a storytelling uh, move within this. So then, so that's kind of my interpretation of why he like yeah is nice. I think that's him, accurate. Right? I think yeah. that's accurate. Yeah. most definitely, yes. most definitely. So yeah. I think, so then yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I just think I think the way it plays out in the movie, it seems that that turn seems to happen in between cuts. It doesn't seem to happen mm-hmm. on screen to me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like he, there's no point where you see him kind of make that decision, ag- yeah. like right into like, his no journal. Where he's like yeah. agonizing, like, "Oh my gosh, he saw me! Like, what should I do?" You know, like. Well, I don't even think I would know. need that. It just, it yeah. just, it just becomes a new dynamic, and no one seems to comment on it. You know, it just, it's right. very, yeah. Although the mom, you know, uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, yeah, I guess that's true. She's like, "Hey, it, but, yeah. this doesn't seem right." Right, right. So then, um, one weird thing, one of the decisions I don't understand is Cody Smith Buffy's character goes to uh like butcher that c- mm-hmm. cow the diseased cow the yeah. diseased cow to poison and him to poison him but in order for that to happen like if that was really his plan he would have to know that his mom was going to give away the hides you know what i'm saying like no no, no he was going to kill him he yes. was going like I see. As soon, okay, tell, yeah t- walk yes. me through it walk me so through my it. here's here's my interpretation yeah. of the whole movie this is Please. what the recontextualization thing at the end did yeah. for, for me and maybe you guys disagree but this is my interpretation of the movie i the mean po- i thought that he in- intended to kill him for sure so yeah. no pow- question about that the power yeah, of the dog is you beat the dog down long enough the dog bites you mm-hmm. that's to me is 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 the central metaphor of the movie is mm-hmm. there's all these people that are beaten down 
mm. by various things and they turn into predators, right? Mm -hmm. And the the son character, whose name escapes me, but um, he uh, he is he has decided he is going to eliminate this person from his mother's life. Yeah. Uh, I, well, the, the first line of the movie, by the way, is "I will do whatever it takes to to make my mother happy." Basically, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I saw my mother's pain after my father's died. I saw her pain, and I yeah. I think he P Peter is the son's name, by the way. Yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, Peter. He. Uh, I think he decides. One way or another, he is going to eliminate this man mm -hmm. from the family dynamic yeah. because he is a scourge on on the family. And so the movie keeps leading you into this. Oh, is it going to be some sort of Brokeback Mountain kind of these? They're going to find each other and they're going to soften each other. And then at the end, the 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 big turn is no, he was going to kill him the whole time. Yes, mm -hmm. he yeah. was mm -hmm. going to exact his revenge on, you know, pushing his mother to alcoholism and tormenting that family and tormenting him. And, mm -hmm. and I found that, and then of course, you know, you, you see also the Benedict Cumberbatch character is, is a dog in a lot of ways and has been probably, you know, society beat him down into feeling the, the, he had that relationship with Bronco Henry, which mm -hmm. objectively terrible name in my opinion. It's a great uh, name. What are you talking Terrible name. Bronco it's a great Henry. Cowboy name. Yes. I'm on board with Devinder in this case. Oh man. That is, yeah. if, uh, I, if I'm least... a cowboy on the plains and I want to command respect among Bronco my peers, Henry. my name is Bronco Henry. I mean, Bronco Bill yeah. is at least alliterative, you know? Um, <laughs> all right. Anyway, so, but, but uh, you, he, he lived this life of, of repression as well. And mm -hmm. has to be unclean because he can't feel clean. The only time he can feel clean is when he washes himself and, and allows himself to be his true self. But other times he, ha he can't. And you know he well, even even that's not clean because his his way of washing himself is using mud as soap and soaking in the river. Yeah, y you never smell clean when you come out of the river. Let, <laughs> let me tell you, folks. But they, <laughs> there's no I know, I know. Noted mud soap user. <laughs> I, we, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I often have to take my daughter around, like you know, the riverbed here, and we play her. She walks around, and it's sticky. It's not. It's not clean. <laughs> but there is. Um, there's just so much going on, guys, with these characters, which I mean, maybe this is just a movie made more for the way I really like watching movies of just putting people in situations and letting them see, letting them play out. Like not once during this movie was I was, uh, did I think, hey, uh, speed up, please. Please explain what's happening. Like, I feel like from the very beginning, like this movie was giving me all the tools I needed to kind of unlock what it was trying to say. But especially around Benedict Cumberbatch's character, Phil, that is a character that's revealed to you once you just look at him. You look at how this guy relates to other men, the way he interacts with this, you know, the young effeminate boy who shouldn't, you know, exist near him. The things we learn about him is that he's a college educated, like Yale guy. So that even that like one line, it's a line of dialogue, right? Where he's like, oh, yeah, he was he was like you know, uh, he had honors at Yale or something like summa cum laude. And yeah. um, he makes a reference to like Romulus and Remus. Exactly. Right? Which is, yeah. So this is all an act. This guy's entire life, this dirtiness, this cowboyness, this, you know, this machismo. He is a nerd from Yale who's trying so hard to pretend to be the cowboy, you know, that really shaped him when he was really young. Um, and to, to live up to that ideal of masculinity has kind of destroyed him. A little so the well, movie does get bronco mm -hmm. henry and him had a sexual relationship absolutely yes yeah. okay well yes yeah, yeah i think it's that, more about the the grief and loss of, of of the one place that he could be himself sure it's it's all mm -hmm. of those things but it's about yeah. how that grief has also kind of 
uh, festered in his yeah. soul and metastasized, metastasized, yeah. and so everybody around him, everybody hates this dude. Like nobody <laughs> likes him. He doesn't really have friends. He has like you know the the ranch hands that he basically commands. His brother sleeps in the same you know bedroom with him at the beginning, and his brother is just like, I'm so fucking done with this guy. I just want him. <laughs> out. Everybody just wants him out of their lives. Um, it is a really interesting exploration of like dealing with just a genuinely toxic person. And uh, I don't know, kind of made me think about like what's happening today, like toxic people in workplaces and within your family. It's like, man, sometimes it would just be good to they're gone to go away. All of a sudden, people would be happier for it or at least, you know, like have them actually face their comeuppance uh, to allow people to actually live their lives in in a happier way. There, There is so much going on here. I, I found like so many, so many layers to these characters, even Kirsten Dunst, who I admit, like she's not in the movie enough, but she has such like an easy relationship with Jesse Plemons character, of course, because they're married in real life. But I think that really that is kind of conveyed in this film. And yeah, it just yeah. it left me wanting more, but not in a good way, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. it left me wanting a lot more. Like there, the moments between the two of them are so lovely. You know, at the beginning yeah. of the film, she stops the car. Um, they try to she, dance. She stops the car, and he's like, you know, it's so nice yeah. to not be lonely, and that's such like a lovely mm-hmm. moment. And then they have that extremely painful scene at the uh, at the dinner with Ugh. the piano and everything. I'm like, so where is the follow? Yeah. Like there. In my mind, I felt a little bit mm-hmm. cheated that there was no follow-up for that. The moment, follow-up you know? is she becomes an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah I know, but it's like, so hard for her to re- exist. In retrospect, yeah. all of that is set up for the son's revenge. I, I feel yes. like all of yeah. that yes. is setting up, yes. we could have had a nice life, but for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, to, you know, I guess uh, to me, it's like there's all these dynamics between the two of them that felt unexplored to me like there mm-hmm. there would have been a conversation after that presumably you know unless yeah. they really stuffed down their feelings and if and if they were this stuffing is... down their feelings and not talking about things then i would want to see that but you like, know? like why should why couldn't she play in that thing well it's because the dude tormented her with the banjo yeah. right exactly. yeah. like you know, everything yeah. it is it is it was almost a horror movie where mm-hmm. the sun is the you know is the hero and strikes down the monster at the end with the mm-hmm. the clever and the avenging he has angel. to be yeah. he has to be a little inhuman too because like I love yeah. that scene where he shows his mom the rabbit and it's this nice lovely scene and then the uh, the uh, cook girl right. the helper girl goes up and finds him dissecting Thomas and McKenzie. the rabbit yeah Thomas I know I was like yeah. wow yeah so great it's crazy uh, but to also see her he, such a small part. He's yeah, just, I, I doubt I doubt she's going to be doing the, like parts this small going forward. After yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely not. Yeah. But that yeah. whole. The whole thing where he's like, "Yeah, I mean, listen, I want to be a sci- yeah, I want to be a biologist. I want to be a doctor. I'm going to dissect this adorable little bunny." And the way he sort of does it um, so easily, and I think towards the end he has that scene with uh, Phil too, where they find the the injured rabbit. And he just like yeah. offs that no rabbit problem killing the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many details there. So yeah, I'm, yeah no, that all that, that all adds up. Agreed with all that. I guess from a just pure plot perspective, guys, I'm curious. Like, mm-hmm. is it your estimation that you know? It, it it just happened to work out that they were they found this bunny and they were tossing logs and Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. cut himself and yeah, also yeah. that Benedict Cumberbatch wanted to make this rope and so Cody Smith Buffy's character Peter is like oh well uh, this is great this means I can use the poisoned mm-hmm. hide uh, and give it to him no, to make listen, the rope and all then he'll, of that he'll happens kill him, you know. 
I think he I think he just concocts that plan based on the opportunity yeah. available yeah, to him. So he, he yeah. would have figured out yeah. some other way yes. of killing him yes. if it, that opportunity had not It's yes. always yeah. useful to have a poisoned, you know, hide. Like listen, <laughs> no, you I mean, have that in your back I mean, pocket. I, know, I keep Chrono- poisoned Kyle Hyde around, you know, I'm looking at it right now. He's never right well, next no, to my But desk. chronologically he goes and gets that after he's already offered him to make him the rope, right? It's mm, already got and, it, and I think Mm-hmm. I think he was going to offer him those cowhides regardless of whether the cowhides are got given away. Gotcha. I don't think gotcha. it was Yeah, I don't think it, yeah, yeah. it was as convenient as you make it out. I think it. I mean okay, yeah, no, plan, that makes sense. That makes sense. It all fits. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it it's a very convenient way it kind of all works out, but uh it is also ingenious too of just like man, this is I have seen many ways of uh, trying to assassinate somebody in the Western, but never <laughs> through anthrax infected cowhide while somebody mm-hmm. makes a rope. And the rope itself is a symbol of the supposed like warming relationship between the two. Yeah. And it's just, it's just really interesting too, because like Cody Smith McPhee at the end of this movie still has the rope. He's like, okay, yeah. I'm touching this thing with gloves. Like I'm not, I'm not going to really mess with this rope, but it is sort of like, I don't know. Well, they also have this him. kind of like homoerotic moment between yes. the two of them when yeah. he's poisoning him. Which is yes. like really fucked up in retrospect. Yeah, when you well, think it's about super it, right? fucked up. It's 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 a total swerve to the audience, a eh, because yeah. you feel like the movie's going that direction. But also, he's like giving him that cigarette mm-hmm. is such a yes. I mean, in in yep. retrospect, you don't get Pointed it at the symbolism. time. Yeah, you, you, in the in the time, you think it's this homoerotic kind of beautiful yeah. connection, and what it actually is is. I'm fucking you so hard, right? I'm I'm killing you. I'm killing <laughs> yeah. you. I'm I, I'm I, you know smoke your last cigarette, dude. You're dead. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, in talking about this, you've made me like the movie more. I'm just well, that's how that I feel there. about the end. Like, yeah. because the thing that's the, the where I really agree with you, Dave, is that for me, none of that lands as you're watching it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's, it it becomes, it becomes like, what? It's only good in retrospect. And that's kind of a bummer. Like I don't, I didn't enjoy the process of watching this movie. I only enjoy the, the new context that I got after the end of the movie, you know? Yeah. Well, guys, at the end of the day, it's still pretty impressive that Jane Campion made a movie, you know? Yeah. After 12 years, like I'm I'm very glad she made another movie. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, but the, the movie overall is gorgeous to look at, well, well worth checking out. I already shouted out the Johnny Greenwood score, but, I mean, this guy is doing a lot of great work these days. Uh, Johnny Greenwood did the score for uh, There Will Be Blood and mm-hmm. um, um, recently has done what? Uh, I think he did Licorice Pizza, right? Uh, they have worked yeah, together quite he a did bit. Li- Licorice Pizza and Spencer. Those mm-hmm. are two movies that he scored this year. Uh, and he also did Phantom Thread, of course. So, uh, really interesting body of work this guy's making in the film industry. I know, obviously, mm-hmm. he's a very talented uh, musician. It's a, it's a haunting it. score in yes. this film, too. Like, I yeah. was really listening good. to it, um, especially, like, actually over the credits. This is where I got it really frustrated with Netflix's whole, I'm going to push you to the next thing. Like, I, yeah. I tried, like, three times to just sit through the credits, and every time... Um, there's no good way. Well, you no you got to disable the you got to disable the autoplay, Devendra. Do you disable the autoplay? Yeah, but I Devendra, did don't disable you watch the Tiger autoplay. King season two right now. Do you want to watch Tiger King season two <laughs> right now? Come it. on, come on. It's, it's yeah. totally. I did disable the autoplay. Like it is. Okay. It is something. But yeah, it still else, it still puts it in this tiny it's, window. Regardless, yes. if, if you disable the autoplay. It's, uh, so, yeah, anyway. anyway, anyway. Yeah. I really enjoyed the score. Um, you know, uh, I do. I just want to say, like, I, I think this movie. First of all, this is one of those movies where I'm like, uh, screw plot. You know, like it is. 
it all kind of comes together because this is how um, it is a very organic um, exploration of throwing these identity, these like various personalities together. Um, I never felt like, yeah, maybe Jesse Plemons seemed like the guy we'd focus on at the beginning, but to me, it always seemed like Benedict Cumberbatch's movie. And it's mm. like how people relate to him. And, and then occasionally we get windows into, okay, Jesse Plemons goes back and has this like sl- slight relationship with Kirsten Dunst's character and all of a sudden they're married. So yeah, I never felt like whipped around. I just felt like I, I sat back and I was leaded, you know, I was led through a very like compelling journey um, of all these broken people. And I found it endlessly fascinating, but I'm glad we talked about it. I'm glad yeah. you guys got to see it. Yeah, it was great. All right. Uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next, discussing next week. In the meantime, find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash gmail.com. Sponsor us on Patreon at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. This episode's theme music comes courtesy of Varsity Blue, the newest project by Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs bumper comes from uh, musician Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Next week, we're going to be discussing West Side Story, new film by Steven Spielberg. Um, don't know if you've ever heard of this filmmaker or the thing that he, this uh, musical that he's adapted. Uh, mm-hmm. I think both the filmmaker and the musical are pretty uh, esoteric, but uh, <laughs> I have confidence that we're going to be able to elevate it with the power of the film cast. What you're saying, Dave, is that next week there's a time for us to review it? Mm-hmm. Is that what Somewhere. you're saying? Somewhere. That reference? That's reference? Somewhere. A time okay. for us. Yes. A place for us, one might even argue. Mm. Uh, and uh, our After Dark next week is going to be a reconsideration of The Matrix Reloaded. We're all going to rewatch Woo! that movie in the next week yep. and talk about it. And so, check out our Matrix review. Prepare yeah. for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think uh, David Sims, our yep. guest for that, if yep. I recall correctly. It was a couple which years is a great, ago. Uh, great episode. And obviously, a huge fan of David Sims. That was episode 511. So you can re listen to that, rewatch that movie to prepare for our After Dark next week, which is available exclusively to our patrons at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. All right, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.